CJSW 90.9 FM and CMRU Radio in Calgary. I would like to take this opportunity to acknowledge the traditional territories of the people of the Treaty 7 region in southern Alberta, which includes the Blackfoot Confederacy, Kainai, Siksika, and Bikani First Nations, the Sutina Nation, and the Stony Nakoda, including the Chiniki, Bearspaw, and Wesley First Nations. The city of Calgary is also home to Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. I'm your host, Grace Heavy Runner, Buxigyanaki, from Treaty Nation Music. I'm Corthin Bear Chief, um, playing a set here today, hanging out. Uh, he's he's kind of undermining there. He's Corson Bear Chief, and he does everything here. <laughs> you know, you name it, he does it. <laughs> so, my name is Corey White. I play bass in After the Prophet and and Number Moments, and we're here to uh, promote music amongst the Indigenous youth on our reserve. How long has uh, Moments Fest been going? Five years now. Five years, but the last three have been the ones that have been the strongest here. What have you seen change in that time? I see a lot more people coming out. Um, I see a lot more interest in what we're doing here. Um, I mean, words getting around. People like the idea of coming out to play on a reserve. And, you know, I think that in a way it really promotes uh, Indigenous people by inviting a lot of bands to come down and attract people from outside of the res to come visit our home and you know enjoy a good time and you know be amongst aboriginals as well you know uh for the outside uh, outside our res to know that like you know we're, we're really friendly people and i think people who come to moments fest leave with that thought you know they had a really good time it was really friendly you know they felt safe and there is no hostility whatsoever. So right. they have that good positive image in their head when leaving Moments Fest, and I think that's awesome. What gets me excited is to see all the people, like, you know, you play so many shows in a year, but then you come to these festivals and, like, everyone's there. And you're like, oh, I know these guys, I know these guys. And it's a really good time for the music community to get together and kind of bond some more because the music community has brought a lot of people close together and that's what I find pretty important there too is like you wouldn't know these people without music and then that's what brings us all together it's like we're a big music community and that's part of the right there when when some of the people on the reserve come on they see that community they see the they see the friendship and they see all the good vibes and you know maybe there is a little stigma between metal and punk they think like oh yeah maybe these guys are all like assholes or something but they come here and everyone's like friendly like super super friendly like the, probably the friendliest crowd you ever be in like so why do you think you're you're drawn to the the heavier music styles i think it's more of the ag- aggressiveness the uh mm. community the uh mm. family feel to it you right. know when i listen to stuff like speaking for after the prophet you know i think that that kind of music beautifully transcends how I'm feeling, you know, bringing emotion to sound, you know, um, because I grew up very angry. I grew up very misguided and all that. And then I was just kind of drawn to this music because I had all this tension inside and 
when listening to that it just kind of released that tension because it was heavy it was uh it made me want to move you know and then when i started going to concerts and stuff like that it was really cool seeing everybody like being like cool with each other complimenting each other like hey that's a really nice shirt man i like that band too and like everyone's just getting along and having fun and i just fell in love with the scene and i just fell in love with the music and what attracted me to it is just how honest and raw this kind of music is you know you don't really get like mainstream music's cool and all you know but I, I just find metal and punk and all that they just really have a lot more important subjects to talk about rather than you know feeling lonely or wanting to have a good time which is kind of hypocritical because that's all no more moments seems about is having a good time but this guy's so insightful <laughs> but uh for uh you know, he, he puts it in words that I can't even say. But for, for me, for, like, playing in both, it's, for me, it's more of, like, brothership. It's like, these guys are my best friends. The guys in Moments are my best friends. The guys in Profit are my best friends. I grew up listening to metal. I grew up listening to punk. I think a big part of it, too, is um, just being able to speak about what we feel is important, you know? Um, I know with After the Profit with their EP, a lot of it was just based on being a Native individual, you know? as universal as we tried to make it like we didn't want to make it like directly about native people we tried to make it like take it how you want it but we got to really speak towards stuff like suicide you know stuff like addictions and you know um isolation or neglect kind of bringing all, all an awareness to the struggles that the native community is like it's in there like you don't you don't see it from within like looking at us we think everything's okay but around us we see suicide we see people a lot of people dying at a young age which is a really big thing here we see like the struggles the struggles of life which you you don't necessarily see like i don't know what's going on but on the reserve that's like a common a common thing a common struggle and that's what we're trying to put our voice towards try to acknowledge the struggles that the native community is going through and which they continue to go through it's not as grim as it is, but there are a lot of struggles on the reserve that aren't necessarily universal in, like, Canada or southern Alberta and all that. A lot of people have, like, if you think about natives in general, is that we're just starting to realize, like, we don't do mortgages or anything. We're not, we're not really with the world right now because we're kind of stuck behind a couple generations because of the, you know, like, we talk about the residential schools and how that has held us back. So we're catching up with the world. And part of that catching up with the world, it's a lot of people are still stuck in that, in those really grim stages to where we're constantly around struggle. And there's a few natives out there who improve themselves, who go to university, but that's not a universal thing. So our thing is to shed awareness on the struggles that, you know, the everyday native goes through, like the missing indigenous women. Of course, and made a really good song about that. Good, good lyrics. That's a, a point that Corson wants to get across is to acknowledge the missing and murdered indigenous women across Canada, which I think is something that should be on the spotlight in like media and all that stuff. But it's not. If you look at the numbers, it's crazy. And if we could do our part, then that's what we want to do. I think our problems are just as important as anyone else's. You know, I mean, we're we're human beings, right? Just like anyone, we deserve equal you know, care as anyone else, love we give to anyone else. Just because we don't have mainstream 
newscasters or anything like that covering it doesn't make it any less important you know and i think we're going through a time where people are starting to realize that you know and native people are making themselves more aware because in the end you know no one's gonna do it for us we have to do it for ourselves right and i think that all of these people who are just kind of like starting to realize like the, okay well the native people are going through like such crazy stuff right now and it's crazy that's not getting media attention you know so I think any bit we can get, you know, just to speak that message of like, hey, it's not as great as you think. And it kind of sucks in some points, you know. Um, I think any chance we can get to speak towards it is a chance to do it, you know. And if we keep promoting this message, hopefully, you know, people will start taking it seriously right now. Because a death in Siksika or a death on any reserve isn't just like a death in the city, you know. It's like, oh, someone died. There's a billion people in the city. There's like 7,000 people here. We all know each other, you know? We all know someone who's related to the person who died. We grew up with this kid in, you know, elementary, or hey, I've always seen him around the block, or hey, I knew who she was. She used to teach at my school, you know? And all these things. So when death happens here, it affects us uh, like intensely because these are all community members. And it's happening at such a high rate. It's unbelievable, you know? We have deaths like once a week here and these are, you know, people we know. So we're just dealing with so much death and everyone's going through this like major depression and nobody's taking that into consideration, you know. You have that ignorant look, I mean, that ignorant outlook on us that's just like, oh, well, at least they have land, you know. <laughs> it's like, well, fuck, it's not as important you know to how it used to be we can't even drink out of our river because it's poisoned you know we can barely hunt now because everything's freaking gone we were forced to change our way of life and it's kind of sad that people would not take the chance to understand that but would rather oppress us and not paying any attention to it you know but like i said we're just people we're, we're people too and we deserve equal care just as much as anybody else but in the end i think the only way we're going to get that is by doing stuff like this right mm-hmm which is bringing me back to the music community, is that why the, why the Calgary music community is so awesome is because I've never felt belittled or I've never felt ashamed of being a Native person, which is yeah. why I'm drawn back to it time and time again is because I've never felt unwanted at any show I've ever been to in the past seven or eight years we've been doing this. Not once have I ever felt like, oh, I shouldn't be here because, you know, I don't, I don't feel welcome, I don't feel because, you know, not like that. The comic music team is awesome. So where do you guys go from here? After the profit, No More Moments got some stuff coming up? No More Moments. We're supposed to be coming out with this all Blackfoot um, album, who I believe Major Minor is helping us out doing oh, that. Oh, Graham McKenzie. Yeah, Graham yeah. McKenzie. Um, and Lori from Night Committee. Yeah, they're uh, helping us get together a Blackfoot album for No More Moments. It's just all in Blackfoot, which I think is really effing cool, man. The lyrics will be in Blackfoot. Yeah, because, like, that it's never been done before, and what better way to promote, <laughs> you know? It's a great way to promote indigenous music. With uh, After the Prophet, like Corey mentioned earlier, um, we're looking to do a music video to honor and help promote missing, murdered indigenous women, um, because that's such an important message. Another important thing that just goes through everyone's head, you know? I don't understand why people don't think our problems matter, so just keep doing our best to get the message out there and try to keep 
getting as much support as we can, you know. If we could go back um, to the No More Moments project, what are the benefits of doing this in Blackfoot and putting out a Blackfoot language album? Well, the same thing again is like promoting indigenous cultures, right? Because a lot of that is really dwindling. It's like a lot of people our age, we don't know how to speak the language or that. And it's, it's a good exposure for the reserve as well and our cultures and all that stuff because a lot of people, well, you know, maybe people like in Europe or something, I don't know, want to hear that stuff. Or a lot of people are still really foreign to what goes on with the native cultures. Like I've seen these people putting up a teepee before and with, like, you know, a lot of the reserves around here, it's it's kind of like, well, you've probably seen it at least once. And most people I talk to are like, no, this is the first time I've ever seen it happen. But promoting our culture, it's about getting our culture out there, especially our language. Our language is a dying, they call it a dying language because someone made a projection or something, well, yeah, the language is going to be dead by this time. And it's a good way to get, like, you know, the youth involved with it too. It's like, well, these guys did it in, lang- in, in our language, so maybe we should do it. It's kind of a good way to promote with our youth, especially with our native people. Like a lot of this, we're trying to promote within outside of like the reserve and get more people aware, like, you know, non-native people. Mm. But I think a really important thing about this is to promote within our reserve as well, because, you know, it's important to get the message out there. But, you know, in order for that message to get out there, the message has to be coming from here and, you know, knowledgeable within our people. Mm. So it's a good way to promote within as well, like, you know, encourage our youth to, you know, pick up the language, sit down and listen and, you know, sit down with an owl or something, you know, because it's all about the youth, right? Yeah. Um, hopefully it inspires uh, someone to want to learn Blackfoot, you know, any of these youth or anything. Because obviously, like Corey said, not much people know Blackfoot, hey? Um, so to have that, you know, hopefully someone will hear it and be like i really want to know what these guys are saying you know and maybe that will spark a flame to be like i really want to know my language you know and given that like little push to it like you know learning like make make learning blackfoot cool again (laughs) you know and part of the making an album that you know talking about having a good time and just raging out i think that's a good way to go with it and you know maybe they'll start talking to elders more they'll have no choice because those are mostly the people who know our language right and they'll have to approach an elder and be like hey you know can you like help me (laughs) understand this hopefully that happens you know or they it sparks an interest and people who hear it who aren't aboriginal who aren't from six ago you know hopefully that gives them an interest to want to know more about us you know like, I want to know what these guys are saying. I want to know where they come from. I want to know who they are, you know? But, yeah, we're pretty thankful for Graham McKenzie from Major Minor Music to help us. Uh, to For backing that, it was his idea. We did the uh, we did a Christmas song, Feliz Navidad, but we did it in Blackfoot. So that kind of gave the inspiration to do the old Blackfoot album. We're, it's, a still in, it's still in the small steps here. We haven't made any big leaps, but... Just, it's still in the works. It's, it's not going to come up for a while. That's that's for sure. Yeah, nothing too soon. Anything to close with? Yeah, check out one of the shows on the reserve. You know, come check out Moments Fest next year. You know, it'll be bigger, it'll be better, and, you know, come spend some time, and, you know, hopefully we can continue to erase stereotype thinking. Ladies and gentlemen, the head honcho of Moments Fest, Carlin Black Rabbit.
<laughs> what was your favorite moment here today? Uh, moments, moments fest. I think. Do you have a like cool recollection of a moment? Everyone, everyone knew what they were doing, and I didn't have to get mad at anyone. <laughs> I, had, I had a reliable stage crew, and no one got arrested. Either. No one got arrested. The cops were cool. Oh man, they wouldn't be covered once. Cops. Yeah, there's a lot of like a lot of the bands brought their kids, so I think it was really, really cool to see that. Yeah. Like Downway, one of our headliners, their kids had like Downway shirts, so that was that was cool to see. Adorable. Yeah. That's so hardcore. Uh, the teepee raising was pretty cool. We had, we had some bands that would never experience that in a million years, got to got to do that. We had some drummers come out and do some demonstrations. So. How do you <laughs> handle being the like main organizer of I this festival just year always, after year? I think always wanting to be better and always wanting to learn from my mistakes. Mm -hmm. So, just trying to boost myself for any way possible. every morning, this is the eye of the tiger. <laughs> oh, really? The final countdown. And just, like, just support from, like, all the, the amazing people. We had Calgary Beer Car and Major Minor out here. Mm -hmm. So, great support there. Big Nate Productions, uh, Calgary uh, Music Awards are out. Yeah. So, just various people that believed in our event. How about Sixica Nation? How does Sixica Nation oh, feel about well, it? Well, geez, we had some a lot of visible youth out today, so yeah. it was good, you know. And uh, if you really want to support Indigenous people, why not write it in the heart of the reserve, you know? Yeah, right. You can't you can't do it in Calgary. You have to do it on the land where the people settle, you know? Oh, exactly. So you sure. can you can have your showcase or your event in Calgary. But this is the core of it, you know? This is where this is the tribe. This is where Treaty 7 was signed, mm -hmm. right here in Six Ago. And it's awesome because the, the, our visitors are so uh, honored to be here. Mm -hmm. And you see all the gratitude from people. You know, just seeing people help help our elders set up the teepee today, just to see them are so blessed and grateful for it. That That's what makes this festival worth doing. You're going to be doing a festival next year, right? Oh, yeah. We got some bigger plans, as always. Bigger plans? What are these We start plans? planning tomorrow. Uh, oh, good. More collaboration. Uh, we're going to... Collaboration? Make it more... Uh, I guess make things easier for us. You know? Mm -hmm. 35 bands is a, hard, is a hard task. 17 bands per stage. My stage two manager, along with my other stage manager, James Stanley, they've been in Calgary... Uh, Calgary music industry for 15 years, 20 years probably. So then, this is their first rodeo, and uh, just having those experts on your team help make things really uh, run smooth. Mm -hmm. I, I just tried to sit back and hang out. So you know, just having that structure. Yeah, right. Yeah. Having structure and even collaboration and like the different sound, the diversity. Yeah, yeah. Are you going to push for more, more uh, like? different kind of sounds? Well, I want to throw a curveball. Yeah. I threw Melted Mirror in there for a reason. That was so fun! And it was like a bunch of death metal and punk and and Kid Kill It. We had a hip-hop artist too. Oh, yeah. And like it, it really changed the mood. It was like everyone, people that would not, not normally listen to that music were into it. You know? Yeah. So definitely want to have more of that. Oh, I love that. We want to have, we, we want to have, you know, we want to, and it, you know, it was never just specific to metal and punk. Mm -hmm. If you're country, if you're a DJ, EDM, flute player, you're welcome to apply, you know. Oh, we really? never had that uh, restriction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And where do you apply? Uh, 
follow us on social media. Mm -hmm. We'll get a website. We'll get a website up next year for sure. Yeah. yeah. Hey. We always want to improve. I think uh, what, with what we have, which is very little. Uh, we make a lot with it. Let me see. Yeah, we work with what we got. Yeah, well, yeah. You got that's why. And oh, we're truly a DIY festival because we don't want to be governed by people that are going to dictate us. We want to. We know what we're doing, and we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if other people want to adopt that, we're willing to help. One more question, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, are you going to maybe call out for more different kind of aesthetics, like aesthetic help with like artists, face design? You know what? Design. We wanna. We always wanna step into any anything we're not familiar with. Yeah. And we're not afraid to do that. You know. Ooh. We're not afraid to collaborate. We're not afraid. If anyone wants to work with us, we want to work with them. <clears throat> I had a guy message me every day. That he wanted to volunteer. All he needed was a ride. We got him a ride, and he was just so so stoked on it. So, if you want to do it, we want to do it. Ah, uh, good to hear. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to see what next year has to hold because it's, you're just going year after year. So you're yeah, yeah, keep and it like, going strong. We're probably going to start planning in the next month or so. It takes a whole year. <laughs> I'm so excited about next month. Yeah, 2020. Nice to meet you. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Have a great Thank night. Thank you so much, Carmen. And now we're going to have a few words from Iman Bukhari and Dustin Running Rabbit. Just a little bit from their talk at the Society for the Advocacy of Safer Spaces, aka SAS, conference uh, that happened last year. What are the roots of racism? We have it written right there. It is white supremacy. And I know a lot of the times, for some folks, it might be kind of hard to actually understand that because maybe you know someone who says racist things or you know someone who said it and you know them and you know they're a good person and they have a good heart and maybe they just made a mistake or they're just ignorant in that one section of their life and they're a good person overall. I know lots of people like that where, you know, they're, they're nice people but then they have this ignorant belief and then you don't want to label them, as, or not label them, but like label their identity as you know, coming from white supremacy, but that is the honest truth because Canada was built off of white supremacy. They came here, they took over the land, didn't care about anybody else or anything, and it was just their beliefs. And we know that colonialism has done that throughout the world. I'm originally from Pakistan, which used to be India, and it was British colonized for almost 200 years. So I know white supremacy exists there. I grew up there, I came here when I was 11-ish, so I know the long-lasting effects of white supremacy there as well. White skin is definitely something that's desired. White people are definitely seen like God-like, even though it is a religious country. The moment they see, like my mom lives back home, the moment she, when she came here to visit, she saw white people, she's like, oh, they're so amazing, oh my gosh. Maybe your child will be this white. Like I know it sounds ridiculous, but you know, like these are beliefs that they really have that's been institutionalized into them, into their into their everyday in everyday life that I think a lot of people might not even understand, and I'm sure you can give some examples. Yeah, exactly. I mean, again, white supremacy, right, it's the historical context, really. It's not like saying that all white people are this way, but mm -hmm. the historical context is that people came over here and colonized North America, right? And, uh, you know, Canada has such an extensive history of uh, just sort of the policies and, uh, you know, um, systems that were set up in place to sort of favor uh, people of European descent. Um, you know, colonization, right, started, what, uh, 1492, and it's almost been over 500 years now that that system has sort of been put into place. And ever since those systems have been put into place, a lot of the policies, you know, 
some of these policies are over 200 years old. Um, little amendments have been made to them, right? Nothing huge, but little things that sort of either changed the way they were working or trying to sort of add things into it to make it seem better than it originally was. You know, for instance, here in Canada, um, one of the earliest policies you can talk about is the, the Indian Act, right? Which happened, I believe, in the 1870s. Uh, the Indian Act was sort of a, a system put into place um, designed to sort of keep natives on reservations, right? That's why we have reservations, because of the Indian Act. And the Indian Act sort of entailed a series of different policies like, uh, you know, Indian status, right? Uh, recognizing and dictating who's an Indian. Um, you know, even to this day, our system still recognizes us as Indians, even though, you know, we're not Indians, right? Um, you know, there's so many systematical things like that that are just sort of ingrained in our system. And people growing up in Canada don't really think to, to think outside of that. They think that's, you know, our government said that, so that's what's right. Um, and people don't seem to question it, and they generally will use these terms. They will, they will sort of uh, believe in sort of the, the concept that these original policies put up. Um, but you know, that's one example that sort of goes back a little further. You know, over a hundred years. Um, as you go further into the history of Canada's creation, you know, you start getting into more policies that kept sort of adding on into it, like, uh, you know, like um, what's one? The uh, like in the 1960s, you had the 60s scoop, right? You also had the 1969 white paper, which was uh, designed by Pierre Trudeau to sort of, um, you know, there was sort of to dismantle the Indian Act, basically, right? Now, it sounds like a good idea to get rid of the reservations and the Indian status to recognize us as sort of Canadians as well, but the way they went about it, again, was also a very sort of serious form of systematical racism. They were sort of brushing it over. They were just sort of like, get over it, you know? Um, they were sort of like, okay, maybe you guys are the original uh, proprietors of this land, but we don't care. You know, you guys don't get hunting rights. You guys don't get travel rights to your lands, right? You, you're like us. You're Canadian, right? It doesn't matter what kind of history. So many, um, many, many First Nations people were opposed to the idea, even though it sounded good on paper. But obviously, um, you know, nothing was really put into act since those days, and, and it was sort of abolished, right? Um, you know, there's so many, again, examples of uh, the systematical effects, like uh, residential schools even, right? Residential schools, I believe, were a part of the Indian Act, and uh, the residential schools were designed as a, uh, a cultural genocide or an assimilation into Canadian society to teach First Nations children to basically be a, like a European, you know, talk like a European, think like a European. And, uh, you know, it's so deep-rooted in, in a lot of uh, First Nations history and people from reservations that, um, you know, you basically have... First Nations families believe in that to be Indian is to be very westernized, to dress like a cowboy, to uh, believe in God, believe in Jesus, um, you know, to, to drive pickup trucks, right? None of that has to do with First Nations identity. That's more of a, a modern sort of um, concept, right? Uh, a lot of the older identity is basically buried under the rug. And again, it comes back to that systematic racism. It's trying to turn us into something that we don't really understand. Uh, and to be sort of Eurocentric in a way. And, and it really convolutes a lot of the, uh, the ideas that comes out of the reservation. And, and again, systematically, right? It, it kind of goes back to lack of education and just sort of a lack of resources. And, and it can really affect the reservations in a very bad way, where even to this day, that effect is still taking place, right? And that's why you have people from the reservation kind of bringing some of their problems into the city once, uh, once they kind of get here, right? And I really do think it is deep-rooted in Canadian society, and that's why, you know, a lot of people have the opinions that they have today, and uh, sort of don't look deeper into that, right? And I, I just think it's really important to know this kind of history. Generally, people will, will believe that this happened, like, hundreds of years ago, that, that you know, all those ancestors are dead, and, and you should get over it. But, you know, again, it even goes back as far as the 1960s, you know? Again, 
the White Papers and the 60s Scoop, which was another attempt at uh, mass kidnapping of Native children off the reservation. You know, from good families and also bad families, like a lot of the child welfare system basically took these children and, and snatched them right off the reservation. But again, it even went to the good families where kids were <coughs> suffering, right? And that's just how far that racism goes again, where people don't even consider the fact that we can come from good families, right? Um, and even more recently, right, some of the last residential schools officially were closed down in the 90s, so like that's just so recent, right? Um, you know, I was lucky to miss them. My, my nation closed one of their last residential schools down in the 80s, but I can't speak the same for other nations across Canada, right, because a lot of them more isolated, more, um, more ignored, right? So of course, a lot of the, the systematic racism in place can sort of push it and uh, get away with that kind of stuff, right? So again, I, I think it's sort of important to have this knowledge behind um, dealing with the indigenous perspective and kind of considering the facts, right? Yeah, and just adding on that, there was that recent politician, I can't remember her name, who just, who, I, I think she like came down or something that said that, you know, residential schools were not all bad. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know her name. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so that is systemic <coughs> racism because you're constantly telling yourself, I'm the good person, I'm the one who liberated you from the <coughs> savageness or whatever it is that they believed, you know? So, yes, there are positives, and I can speak on that because just living in Pakistan, I can, like, honestly, a lot of my relatives will say, well, yeah, the British did really bad, they divided India into half, and they, like, caused all these problems. Before there weren't as many problems, people were living in somewhat peace, you know, Hindu, Muslim, Christians, everyone, they were pretty happy, but then they came, they segregated everyone, the country got divided into three halves, essentially. And, but you know what? They gave us a railroad system, yay. We're so happy. Thank you for doing that. That's constantly something that people are constantly telling themselves, yeah, they, were, they weren't good. But then they gave us a railroad system. That's awesome. They gave us technology. And it's like, you could have done that yourself. You, you have all of this, but that, that same like idea of even like non-white people mm -hmm. wanting that or like loving that because it's so ingrained in them. Treaty Nation Music is produced by Grace Heavyrunner with Hannah Manyguns and Spencer Burgess.